0: Good to be here. Really good to be here. I mean, you're all really important, but I am flipped out to see you guys. I'm telling you, it's been years. Yep, They're just really great people. Get to know them. They're wonderful people. I don't even know how long they're going to be there, but I know their parents. I knew, I knew her when really little and sort of followed their journeys. They're great people. They do Christianity in an extraordinarily powerful way. And they're humble. They told me that. They just said, Would you tell us? To... <laughs> no, I'm, yeah, I mean, I just went to your dad, dad, and I go, Guess who's here? And he goes, You're kidding. <laughs> you, you see her more than we see her. No. <laughs> no, it's, uh, churches are sort of funny that, uh, after a while, a healthy church, a really healthy church, looks like, all right, this is a bad metaphor, but in Star Wars, you know the bar scene? Where all these different little people, and they're all together in one place, and it's like it all fits. Now, I'm not saying you guys are aliens or anything like that, but the thing is, there's is such an eclectic group of people. I mean, there's some really young ones. There's some people who are older. Yeah, and then, then the oldest? No, no, but it's, what's interesting is a healthy church brings a whole bunch of people together that would otherwise not have anything to do with one another, but Jesus sort of, it's like the cement to put it together. And I'm looking at this, I'm going, healthy church. It's really good. I, I, I get all excited. Bless you. So you come to church to get blessed. She has waited for a half hour to sneeze. So so that in church she could get a blessing. Gotcha. Anyway. Um this is a message that I could really preach in, you know, house of fire and get all I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go pastoral for a while. So I'm, you know, I'm probably going to have to go outside back and yell, right? But I really want to bring this word to you in a pastoral way, in a way where you can sort of grab it, think about it, and just you and Jesus make some decisions what you're going to do with what I'm sharing. There'll be no altar call, no, if you don't do what God tells you to do, it stinks being you. It won't be any of that. Uh, I just want to share something that is so vitally important that, you know, no pressure Wherever you are in your walk with God, if you grab a hold of this world, world the word it'll change your life. no pressure. Um, let me start in the beginning in Genesis, scripture says the earth was formless and void. another way of putting it was it was sort of chaotic and empty, right like a vacuum and the Spirit of God hovered all this mess and then how did God started solving the problem of, of chaos and, and emptiness? It says, and God spoke and then God said. And it was really it. You know, God spoke something and it created stuff that wasn't there. God said something and it brought order where there is no order. What, what this suggests, actually demonstrates is when when God communicates to us, he's never just uh, giving us information. His words have power. And sometimes he he doesn't talk like Charlton Heston movie in Ten Commandments. Sometimes he just will whisper to our heart or will feel that nudge. Every time God speaks, it has that kind of power to, to lead and guide and equip us and change us and just sort of change our lives, sometimes even just to mature us into the next season of our life. God's nudges, God's words have that kind of power. They just do. I mean, you may not have ever heard God speak audibly, but if you're a Christian, I can guarantee you've heard God speak at least once. He has said, man, you need a Savior, and Jesus is the one. There's, however he communicated that to you you said yes to it and it changed your life it changed the trajectory of your life is that kind of power the first thing that god said to adam was be fruitful and multiply now some people say well that was god's first command to humanity i disagree I believe because God's words create things, I believe when God spoke, he downloaded certain capacities into Adam that he didn't have beforehand. He was just this blob of, blob of living stuff. Be fruitful and multiply. God downloaded capacities to live a life that produced certain kinds of fruit and to live a life in such a way that it reproduced, that it impacted others, right? Um, this is not a small thing. It's a big thing. Let me illustrate so you get what I'm saying. See this? This is a created thing, and it performs a function, but it doesn't produce a thing. It's just this, a music stand. So it doesn't produce fruit. And if I take another music stand and like put it like really close, like where it's overlapping, right? Guess what? You're not going to get a third music stand. It, don't, it doesn't multiply. It doesn't even add. It doesn't reproduce. This thing has no impact on anything beyond itself. That's what Adam was like until God said, you're going to be the kind of being that will produce fruit. You will be the kind of being that will multiply uh, after yourself. This is a hardwired capacity that God gave all human beings. Every human being is going to live a life that produces certain kinds of fruit, certain kinds of results in their own life. And every human being is going to reproduce after themselves. They're going to impact other people. From their life, they'll be be downloading in other people's lives. That's non-negotiable. When you become a Christian, that, that basic capacity does not change. What, when you become a Christian, it's like God has given you a new app. See, before, what you operated from was selfishness, self-centeredness, all these sorts of things that humans do without the aid of Jesus. As a matter of fact, before you were born again, what you did is you tried really hard to be good enough so that maybe if you believed in God, God would love you. It, it, it's just the wrong app. It's an old app. It's, a, it's just. But when you get born again, a new thing is deposited on your hard drive. And little by little, that thing, it's, it's a new thing. It's a new identity. It's a new way of doing things that God dropped into these capacities to be fruitful and multiply these things that God dropped in, those things that he's spoken to our lives, the things that he's downloaded into our lives, this is what I believe constitutes God's calling on our life. We're all called by God. Whether or not we answer the call, whether or not we receive the new app, whether or not we use the new app, that's between us and God, but we're all called by God. Each of us. God has created each of us to experience answers to two of the most important questions. Who am I really? And why am I? Each one of us are, are, are driven one way. Just look at your whole life. You've been, even when you made bad decisions, it was you were looking to experience an answer to those two questions. Who am I really? And then, Why am I? What's my purpose? Why am I here on planet Earth? This is something that we are hardwired to do. To find our identity, maybe create our own identity, and to find our purpose and our value. The good news is, God's got the answers. Because he made us. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. A paraphrase of this, really simple, is before we were born, God had a plan. He had a template that uh, that he wanted us to grow into certain kinds of people with certain kinds. Capacity, some strengths, some weaknesses, some talents and skills. And that if we're in Christ Jesus, we get to fulfill, fulfill our purposes in God. And not just know about it. It's not enough to know what our calling is. It's not enough to know what God's plan is, what his design is. It's not enough. It says, so that we should walk in them that we should actually experience God's template and God's plan for our life. That that is non-negotiable. God's got a plan for each and every one of you. Each one of you, whether you're in Jesus, whether you're outside Jesus, everybody, God's got a plan for your life. Get inside Jesus, use the app he gives you, you will grow into God's answers to those two questions. Pursuing that calling is not a sign of pride. A lot of people go, well, you know, I I just want to be humble. I just want to live a good life. I want to go to heaven. I want some happiness. Pursuing my calling, that just seems like, well, maybe that's something a paid pastor should do. You know? I just want you to know, whatever your calling is, don't think of it as your Christian career. Don't do that. God created you to become certain kinds of people to be, able to be and also to have certain sort of kingdom impact. He, he's created us uniquely to be fruitful and to multiply in very unique ways. Some people travel the world taking pictures, right? Some people are called to be pastors. Some people are called to be fathers. Some are called to be mothers. All these things that God... When we see that God created us to become these sorts of uh, uh, people and, 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 and to have certain sort of impact, our life is different. We start seeing the value of who God created us to be and we start seeing the value of the purposes that He has for us. Pursuing our callings. Making the decision, I would like to fully experience God's answers to both those questions, that's actually a mark of spiritual maturity. Whether you're just newly born again or you've been around the block for like 30, 40 years, like some people. I don't know who that would be. You got real close. You got real close. Um, Pursuing our calling. Actually, God, I want to experience fully who you created me to become I want to experience and I want to fulfill your purpose for me. That is a mark of maturity, and I'm not making this up. This is what Paul said. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. All of us, then, who are mature. not that a killer? All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. So whether you know what your calling is or not, What makes you mature, in large part, has a lot to do with how much do you actually want to grow into to experience God's answers to those two questions. How much do you really want to be on that journey to grow into God's answers? And it is a journey. God doesn't give you like a career path and say, okay, do this, 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 and you fulfill. Um, Throughout the Bible, Fulfilling our callings, it's a customized process. It's very, very, very unique. Here, I'll use you guys again, because I'm looking at you. I mean, even though they have the same hair shade, right? And obviously, it's a black and red day. You've been very successful in what you've been called to do, and you've been very successful. But you guys have done different things. And how you got there, even how you navigate things, ups and downs and all, very different than yours. Which one's better? Trick question. Trick question. Neither. Each one of us have unique callings, and each one of us, God designs a customized process to equip us, to grow us into God's answers to those two questions. It's a customized process. And I, I, I just want to, Nail that down. It's customized. We can learn from other people, but it's not our job to go on their journey. We can learn from other people how they navigate their journey, but our journey is our journey. Our race is our race. I can't run anybody else's race, and you can't run mine. I I can learn from you, brother. You can learn from me, but thank God you don't have to be like me. I mean, really, trust me, you don't want to be like me. Fulfilling our callings is a very customized process. Look at Joseph. Joseph, he was this really young guy. He was a a teenager. God speaks to him, gives him vision. Yeah, my whole family is just going to bow down before me. I'm going to be really, really important. What teen wouldn't want to have that vision? I mean, every day, yeah, that's right, I'm better than you. I know more than you. That's what some teens are like. Well, when his brothers heard about the vision, they went, oh, really? Okay, we'll see who's bowing. So they decided to kill him, and they go, no, we can't kill him. That's too brutal. What we'll do is we'll sell him into slavery. So they sell him, into, uh, sell him into slavery. Imagine Joseph, God, you told me I'm going to do all this stuff, And these people who are supposed to bow down to me, they're selling me into slavery. This is confusing. This, is, this isn't the path I would have thought. So just read about it, um, Joseph, that he goes through all these difficult trials, and you know, he, he finally gets raised up because he's got a couple good spiritual gifts. And he becomes a real important guy in Pharaoh's house. And then he gets unjustly accused. Have you ever been I mean, unjustly accused where really you didn't do it, but you got nailed for it anyway? That's what happened to Joseph. But what Joseph did, he was faithful even though nobody was looking. God raised him back up. And he became the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. Then guess what happened? There's a famine and his brothers who had betrayed him. They needed food. Now it had been a long time since they'd seen each other. The brothers, they came up, and they're asking their, their brother, their little brother, for food. And, you know, Joseph, uh, it's such a great story. Joseph is such a Jewish guy. I can say that because I have a Jewish background. You know, if you don't have the Jewish background, no Jew jokes. Bad, 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 bad. No, I mean, he just goes, Oh, I'll make a swing in the wind. I mean, he really, really put it to them. But he didn't tell them, until later, who he was. But when it was time for him to disclose, hey, I'm your brother. Of course, they had already bowed down a few times. And then he said this. He goes, what you did, you meant for evil. But God was in charge of the whole process, and you meant it for good. Could you you imagine... What God had to do in the soul and in the mind of Joseph to get him to a place where he could see that whole very difficult process was part of God's plan to fulfill his calling. That's a killer. Moses, God calls him to deliver everybody out of Egypt. And so he goes, I'm going to go do it in my own strength. He kills a couple of Egyptians. That didn't work. He had to run away 40 years in the desert. Have you ever sensed the call of God on your life to do this? It's a dream. It's not just something you come up with. It's God's put it, and you spend years in the desert doing things that have nothing to do, as far as you're concerned, with what you're called to do. It's like, you know how little, little kids are when they, they have to take algebra 2, trig, and they go, oh, why should I do this? This is like the desert. I'm never going to need this. And what do we as parents say? I hated it too. No, don't do that. What you do is you go, listen, you may not see a direct application, but just disciplining yourself to be excellent in things that you don't like, it will pay off. But in any case, that was just sort of me being parental. I'll back to being, being pastoral. So Moses spends 40 years in the desert, really humbled, and then God reappears to him and sort of reignites the calling. Would God actually lead us into a desert to prepare us to walk into our calling? Uh Uh-huh. It's just that when it was time for the call to be reignited, when he saw the burning bush, Moses had to just stop And turn aside. He had to go, wait a second. Sometimes God starts going, hey, I want to renew your call. You you spend a lot of time in the desert, and something happens, and we go, and we're too busy. I'm going to just skip a little bit. David, King David, he was a little nothing guy. He was the youngest. He was the runt of a litter of, of boys. And he's taking care of the sheep. And one day a prophet pulls him out of the field and says, you're going to be the next king. First lesson is, whatever your calling is, fundamentally, it was never your idea. You may think you came up with it, but fundamentally, since God created you, whatever your calling is, it was first initiated by God. So David finds out, I'm a king. And then David goes through all these Persecutions. He goes and serves another king, and that king wants to kill him. Have you ever felt a calling to advance the kingdom in certain ways, and you end up with a boss that you're sure is going to be the next Antichrist? And I mean, come on. I just want to say, how many of you have had those kinds of bosses where you go, Jesus loves you, but I don't. I'm the only. Yeah, okay, at least there's someone. Right? There's two. The rest of you are not telling the truth, and this is church. Not saying you were lying, but you didn't tell the truth. Anyway, it's amazing. David submitted, then he ran away. He he wouldn't rise up against imperfect authority. Little did he know that he was sowing into his future. So when it became time for him to become king, guess what? He had a lot of loyal people. That's an amazing thing. A lot of the things we go through now is God training us for the things that he has um, laid out for us in the future. Peter is a great example, full of enthusiasm. He goes, Jesus, I'll never let anybody kill you. I mean, and Jesus, Jesus rebuked him. Remember, gentle Jesus. Peter, get, get behind me, Satan. You have in mind the things of man, not the things of God. When's the last time you've been rebuked like like that? Some of you are going, my wife last night. (laughs) And she goes, get behind me. No, there is something about Jesus corrected this guy for being really enthusiastic. You know, well, his heart's right. And she's going, mm-mm, you got it wrong. That had to have broken his heart. Have you ever been disciplined where it just breaks your heart and then you see things get worse? You see your Savior die. And you, know, Oh, man, it's my fault, or all this sort of stuff. God allowed Peter to be broken through his foolishness so that when Jesus came back and said, hey, I want you to feed my sheep, Peter was going, whatever you want. God allows us to even experience brokenness through our own foolishness to get us into a position to grow into our calling. Does that makes sense. Hopefully, it does. If not, just pretend you're Christians. Make me feel good. Anyway, now to navigate your calling, we could write books. There are books on this. I want. I want to just offer this one thing: that if you can grab it. This thing, no matter how much you know the Bible or not, how long you've been a Christian or not, if you can grab this one thing, it will help you navigate God's calling in your life. It's it's the unconditional yes, where you say yes to God without any strings attached, without any, okay, good idea, I agree with that, I'll do it. Sometimes God will just stir you, he'll draw you and you just go, without knowing what it's going to look like, you say yes. Now, before you go, oh, that's crazy, welcome to the kingdom. When you first signed on with Jesus, you may have had certain ideas what it is to be born again and all that sort of stuff. But you know something? When when the when God started speaking to you, started messing with your hearts sort or of rearranging your lives, and you started going, oh wait a second, I'm trying to do my whole life in my own strength, it's not working, it's worse, you know, I'm empty no matter how good I am, I'm empty, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit goes, yeah, you need a Savior. Yes, that's what I need, I need a Savior. And now what would that be? Jesus, the Holy Spirit points Jesus, when you said, oh Lord, I surrender my life to you, please forgive me, enter my life, and I will follow you. Did you have any idea what you were signing up to. If you say you did, you had an idea, have you found out it wasn't correct? I mean, we sign up, it's like, it is an unconditional God speaking. You go, yes! And that, that's how you start. Your journey with Jesus starts with faith. It starts with an unconditional yes. And many times we start out in faith and then we try to navigate the rest of our walk based on our own understanding, on our own effort, when God is actually just looking for that unconditional yes. Jesus went to his disciples who were fishing, and they were just doing what they do. And they, Jesus didn't know them, they didn't know Jesus, and he goes up to him and he goes, hey, you know, if you follow me, I'll teach you how to fish for men. Imagine being one of these guys. Think about it. You go, what? Go fish for men? I know I'm pretty concrete, linear, literal. Okay, so we're going to throw hooks into people and pull them in and then eat them? I mean, that's how I would have thought. This is crazy. No, that obviously it's a metaphor. I would have been confused. And then I would have said, and who is this guy? I mean, if a good friend said that. The stranger comes up and says, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. Listen, there's something about the call of Jesus that it is so real that you can't put words around it, but you know it's the real deal. I know in the natural, if I'm in Walmart with my three daughters, and some guy I don't know comes up to them and goes, Hi, ladies, if you'll follow me, I will make you movie stars. I'm calling 911 as I'm running after him. Okay? I don't know him. I don't even know what he's talking about. We're not interested. It's crazy. But Jesus did, it wasn't in Walmart. Jesus did the same thing, but what came out of his mouth had the kind of power when they went, okay, unconditional. Abram. When he was in Ur of the Chaldees was sort of like a a real exclusive New Age community, right? No God at all. God invades Abram's space and says, look, I've got promise for you. I've got some really interesting things for you. I've created you for you. I've created you to experience incredible things and fulfill uh, incredible purposes, but you won't be able to experience them by just staying where you are. Now, for Abram, that was a geographical thing. But for most of us, it's usually an emotional thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's just just living our lives and then taking steps forward. There are things that God has for us, that he has planned, that it will require for us to move forward. Now, what was really interesting, Scripture says, And Abram went without knowing where he was going. That's what he said. Now, I'm not encouraging presumption and foolishness and things like that. But many times God will say, start going in this direction. God, what is it going to look like? I'm not telling. It will be on-the-job training. And then, as he gets older, think about this. Abram is old. Sarah is old like Right, An angel goes, hey, uh, in this next year you're going to have a baby. <laughs> no, think about it. And you go, what? Look, we already did the faith thing. We decided to go, and we didn't know where we were going, but we liked the journey. Thank you, God, for leading us in this adventure. But no, we'll take grandkids, right? I said, Amen. But she's sitting there going, mm, 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 not doing this thing anymore. Right? All that. Would God, in your older years, birth something new that would challenge your idea of what the rest of your life is going to look like? Would God actually challenge you to change? Because you all know, look, as soon as you bring a kid into the family, you're not adding a kid to the family. It's not like you take a garage and put it on a house, right? Yeah, really, you know those families, you know they' just you know husband and wife, you know, well, we'll get soft, and then we'll add a child, and we just sit there and laugh. We go, oh, add a child. You don't add a child. When the kid gets in there, everything changes. your sleep patterns, your temperament, you know, your bills, all of it changes. Abram at, when he was old, was willing to say yes. Without knowing what it would all looked like. In Isaiah, the first five chapters of Isaiah's life, he was a faithful priest in the house of God. He's a good guy, loved God, probably tithed, probably prayed. And then his context was removed from him. His how how he understood his place in the world. His king died, and all of a, Have you ever had the rug pulled out from under you? Your sense of identity, which depended on someone else. It's gone. And then you go, oh, Isaiah was going, Woe is me. This is tough. Then he goes, oh, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, which really means, oh, my gosh, I got some issues. And then he goes, well, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. Now, I got issues, and I'm no better or worse than anybody else. That's humbling. Have you ever just met God at a newer level and you just get humbled? Just humbled. Not beaten up. Just humbled. So he's humbled. He's going, Man, I'm undone. I'm undone. And then what Jesus does, he goes right in there and he forgives him and he heals him and basically gives him a restart do over. So he's healed, he's forgiven. And then he hears, Here I am. Uh, no, he, then he hears, Who will go for us? Who shall we send? It was just this general thing his heart heard. And this idiot, what he do, he goes, Without any details. Here I am, send me. Wait a second. What, where are you going? I'm not telling. What's it going to cost me? I'm not telling. It's like, like God offered Isaiah, here's a contract. Sign it, and then I'll start filling in the details. And we're sitting there going, we, we think we have leverage. We Well, wait, just give me a few details. Just give me some perks, blah, 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 and then I'll sign it. God's going, I can wait. I'm an eternal God. <laughs> Many times we'll have these things. God says, sign first, and then I'll fill in the details. Say yes first and then see where God will lead the next step. When Jesus called all disciples to go and make disciples, I know that if I was there, I would have said, Go where? Because that's how I think. And Jesus would have just shaken and said, No, silly boy, that's not what I'm talking about. In your going, make it a point to look for opportunities to demonstrate who I am and bring other people into my family. That, that's the Great Commission. I mean, but look, community is great, but community without purpose is a religious group. Yeah, This is a great community whose purpose is to go and bring other people in. What's it going to look like? I have no idea. Have you seen what your pastor's been doing? He's, he, he's working a couple days in some secular job, and he's like, He's like a pig and slop. It's a good metaphor. He's bringing people in. it. And two years ago, if someone said, what are you doing? What is it going to look like? He would have said, I have no idea, but I'm going to do it. The Great Commission, there's no map. You just got to start doing it, and then God starts showing you. So here's the thing. You all have a calling. Each of your callings are customized. And the way to navigate this, many times, just go, yes, Lord. Now, I'm going to give you just a couple things that will help grease the skids to make it easier for you to say yes in an unconditional way. You ready? If you're not, I'm saying it anyway. This is the first thing. Remind yourself of who it is that's actually calling you. There's two aspects to God that we need to remind ourselves. One is, God's really smart. No, I mean really smart. On our best day, with all the caffeine we could ever need, with both our hands on two computers looking up things on Google, on our best day, we're not nearly as smart as God. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows how he made us. He knows the journey. He knows stuff. So how many of you have ever tried to cut a mutual non-aggression pact with God or negotiate and all that? And he's gone, ah, I know what you're saying, but no, here's my plan. Sometimes you got to go, all right, God, you're God. You're smarter than me. It should make it easier for me to say yes. Even though I don't know what it's going to look like, you're smarter than me. Here's the second thing about God that really should help us say yes. Now, I know you have some BFFs, you you have a spouse, they love you, and all that sort of stuff. But I tell you, nobody died for you while you were an enemy of his. Nobody, Nobody has died for your sins. Nobody. Not one person has paid the penalty for your sins. Jesus did. It sounds so cheesy, but God's really smart, and he really loves you. So if you have a person who that, that smart and who loves you that much, and he goes, I want you to do this, it should be easy. Well, you're smarter than me, and I know you love me. I think I'll say yes, right? And what would it look like? A, God, I know you're smart, but I've got a better idea. Anyway, now here's the second thing that should help us. There's a little bite to this. Just a little one. All right, I'll do it again. Let's say you haven't cut your lawn in weeks. The grass is this high. And I look upon you with great compassion. Actually, I look upon her with great compassion. And I go, I buy you a lawnmower. And I go, here. This lawnmower is yours. And you go, Thank you, that's so beautiful. No ever give me a lawnmower. I got my hey honey, I got my own little lawnmower, right? I come by a week later and the grass is this tall. And you're out in the back on a rock pile going, Yeah, yeah? Right? And I'm buddy, what are you doing? That's a lawnmower. And you go, Yeah. Says, but a lawnmower is to cut grass, not to polish rocks. And you go, Yeah, maybe, but it's my lawnmower. You've won that argument. I still think you're an idiot, but you've won the argument. But just change it just a little bit. I buy this lawnmower, and I said, this is my lawnmower. You can use it. I come by a week later, and you're doing the rock thing, and I go, excuse me, that's a lawnmower. And you go, oh, that's right. This is not my lawnmower. This is your lawnmower. I should be using it for the purposes for which you want it. That's a man of integrity. How does this apply to all of us? If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, this scripture applies to us. You are not your own, but you've been bought with a price. So when you feel that nudge, even if it's like God's nudging you to raise your game to do this husbanding thing. I can't do it, I'll fail just like my dad and all that. If God is nudging you, he knows a lot, he's really smart, and guess what? He owns you, so he gets to tell you what to do. In a really nice way, right? There's some, so when we remind ourselves, all right, who owns me? When we remind ourselves just how smart God is. When we remind ourselves how much he really loves me, a, it makes it easier to say yes to him, and it actually makes us easier makes it easier for us to navigate our callings. So I thank you for all your patience, but I just want to encourage you. Instead of coming up with excuses why you can't go forward, just say yes, and then see where God will take you. Uh, can we have the worship team come up? This is what I oh. Virtual worship. Listen, there's no need for like a raising your hands or or an altar call or whatever this. But I have found sometimes just when I'm just worshiping God, God will just sort of just bring something to mind and you okay, I say yes to that. Why don't we use our time of worship as not, thanks for coming, see ya. Let's use it for an opportunity just to lock in with God and say yes to say yes to those little nudges that God's given us. I want to pray for us. Lord, um, Holy Spirit, you're here. You started good works. You have promises to complete it. You know the end from the beginning. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are your workmanship. You have the answers to our deepest questions. You're the one who knows who we are to become. You are the one who knows what purposes we're designed to fulfill. We just say yes to that God. We're not qualified. We haven't earned it. We don't deserve to say yes. But you're just offering us the opportunity to say yes. You do a lot with an unconditional yes. Amen.